Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Think you know the Brooks Ghost? Think again. Introducing the all-new, better-than-ever Ghost 16. Now with nitrogen-infused cushioning for lightweight, supreme softness that feels good every step, every street, every single day. So go ahead, take your daily joyride in the all-new nitrogen-infused Ghost 16. It'll turn your everyday miles into everyday endorphins. Let's run there. Head to brooksrunning.com to learn more. Hey everyone, John Wertheim here. It is this week's Sports Illustrated Tennis Podcast. It is late Wednesday night. We have reached the round of four. We've reached the semifinals in both draws. So Jamie and I will uh, talk some tennis from Roland Garros and we will try to keep it sufficiently general so this won't be obsolete by the time you're listening. Uh, Jamie, how are you? I'm good. How are you? I'm a little little cold, but uh, no complaints. It's been, um, it's been in... A French Open like no other. It's been an interesting, interesting time so far. But um, you know, the the good news is COVID hasn't really become the story. And if we're talking about uh, chilly weather and not a global pandemic, that's a win in itself. And and here we are at the business end of uh, our, our second major in four weeks. You're cold. Rafa's cold. Uh, I think some other players are cold. I think Elena Djokovic is cold. I've seen a lot of Oof. parkas. <laughs> I actually. Um, Double check the weather temperature today because I said, how cold is it really there? People are in fur jackets and, uh, you know, winter winter parkas. I think some people look like they're going skiing. Is it really that cold? I mean, you're, you have survived many New York winters. What's, what's going on? Oh, boy. I'll say a few things. One of them is that whatever the temperature is, it is not an accurate indicator. It has that sort of British chill where you're it's just cold to the bones. Right. Um, you know, I mean, obviously for, for athletes, it's, it's different. You're running around, your, your body's warming up, then it's stopping, as, as Rafa pointed out. I think some of this is just what people are accustomed to. There's a part of me that doesn't mind it. You know, we, we play tennis in extreme conditions. There's extreme heat in Australia. I think it probably speaks well of the sport that the same players that win when it's 120 degrees are winning when it's 49 degrees. I would say that I think this has had a bit of an impact, not so much on the level of play. I mean, I, I don't think the caliber of play has dropped because everybody is uh, dressed like they're going skiing. I think it has sort of changed the, the mood and the vibe, and we've gotten over COVID 
And uh, it, it's just funny how these tournaments sort of change as they progress. But there, uh, there has not been, as far as I can tell, a whole lot of, of COVID fear. I mean, it doesn't seem to be much of the talk. It doesn't come up much in press conferences. Sometimes when it does, players uh, like Danielle Collins shoot it down. But it's been, uh, it, this is not the French Open that people are used to. And I, I thought at the U.S. Open, the apparel manufacturers missed a golden opportunity not to do more with uh, the surface area of these masks. Why not put a, uh, a Lacoste alligator or a Nike swoosh on a mask? And here it's time to show off the, the winter gear in the Lacoste and uh, Nike and Adidas parka wear. Because uh, as soon as the, I don't know if you've seen, like as soon as the players get done leaving the court, they, they you know, Azarenka did it, Petra Fidova did it, Venus. I mean, they all put on ski jackets. So uh, <laughs> it's been a twist on this tournament. But again, I mean, for the last six months, you and I have been talking about bubbles and pandemics and how are we going to get athletes from all over the world into, uh, into a common spot. And the fact that uh, the, the talk has been a lot about tennis and conditions and scheduling and, and doubles and singles and wide open draws and not about players tested positive, I, I think is a good sign. For sure. I, uh, I wanted to ask you, I was reading um, an, a piece by Steve Signor and he, he said that, uh, you know, it was about the handshakes and about, of course, how they're really not happening anymore. And the, the racket touch uh, is now, has now replaced it. And so I actually thought it was funny because in the past few matches, we've actually seen some players after, you know, after the match in, in the, the team match, he did it. And there were some others where, you know, they go up to the net and they do this very strange, hesitant high five, or maybe there is a little bit of an embrace. Uh, and of course you sit there and you, you cringe and you say, oh no, they're touching each other. Um, you know, they're so close. Uh, you talk about COVID and all this. Uh, what is... Have any of the players talked about the handshake? What about you just watching? Um, I know on my end, I, I feel like, um, you know, a lot of after really great matches, long matches, it's nice to see two opponents kind of embrace each other or just kind of, you know, pat each other on the back for, for a hard fought match. Uh, and, and we don't see that. What, what are your thoughts on, on just the lack of handshakes in this COVID time? Uh, yeah, you, you see handshakes, and it's like, I don't know if you have this, I, I have this thing where, like, I'll watch a, an old movie, and you're, you'll cringe and say, no, social distance, and you say, oh, yes, this was uh, filmed before March of 2020. Um, <laughs> so, yeah, you see these, these the sort of belly pats or the, even the pats on the shoulder at the, you know, at the net, and you think, no, 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 no. I mean, I always loved the handshake. I always found it one of tennis's nice quirks. You spend hours battling with this opponent, and then the very first person you make human contact with is that same opponent. Um, what, did, what did Ron Swanson say about handshakes? They have to be firm, dry in, uh, in three seconds or something like that. Um, <laughs> and it's, it's straight. No, I mean, the racket tap is a little bit strange, and some players are, uh, are not even doing that. Other players are, as, as you know, there are, have been a couple of exceptions. Dominic Team seems to be a, a serial offender, which probably ultimately speaks well of him. And uh, it has, has actually gone gone for the handshake. I think he did one after the U.S. Open final. He did. Uh, there was some some contact against Schwartzman. I don't know. I mean, I, I feel at some level you've been you know, you, you've been hitting a sweaty tennis ball back and forth for three hours that your opponent has touched. 
um, you know, n- none of us are perfectly consistent in our COVID protocol. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the same person who washes their groceries is uh, also holding the pole on the subway. I mean, I think, mm-hmm. I think we all have uh, some inconsistencies. I, I have to think if you've been using the same tennis ball as, as another opponent and your bodily fluid is getting on that same tennis ball, I don't know. If you brush palms at the net for a second, is, is that really so bad? But, um, yeah, I mean, there, there are a lot of sort of jarring little twists. I mean, the, the lack of a crowd, I think, has been especially acute here in France, especially when French players uh, have taken the court because often the, the fans try to impose themselves on the match here. That isn't really happening. Uh, it'll be interesting to see what stays and what doesn't. I mean, if I never see another ball kid handle a towel again, that's, that's probably a good thing. Um, it's very strange doing a, a courtside interview in a, in a math. It'll be interesting to see. I mean, I think we're already sort of looking to 2021. Um, I suspect there will be handshakes at the 2021 Australian Open because uh, the players will have quarantined for two weeks. And essentially what, what I'm told is once the players are there and test negative and are in this, this quarantine situation after that, they, they don't even have to wear masks. Um, we will see if that holds. This is obviously, you know, protocol changes day to day. But um, I, I think maybe players will view the handshake differently when it returns. It's, uh, we, we take it for granted. It's a little strange seeing players cheat right now. But, but again, I mean, uh, if you're, if you're going to share a locker room and if you're going to, again, share, share tennis balls that uh, your opponent has inadvertently sweat onto for three hours, you, you could probably shake his hand at the end. With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, Quick strategic thinking is crucial, and with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown, and through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. <laughs> How's that for a, lo- a long-winded answer? That's fair, that's fair. Last time we talked, we, well, the first time we talked before, you know, you, you went to Paris, we talked a little bit about the favorites, you talked with Shonda, and uh, one of the biggest things was that the overwhelming favorite, even more so, perhaps, than Rafael Nadal at this French Open was Simona Halep. And of course, uh, on Sunday, she lost in a very quick and uh, interesting fashion. What what are your thoughts? I mean, she had this tournament in the palm of her hands and, of course, got revenge uh, and to the person who knocked her out last year and Amanda Nisimova. And then she comes back and uh, is on the court for barely an hour and and she's done. Uh, what what did you gather from that uh, from that loss and from being there? Yeah, I mean, the, the one upset was the result. And the second upset, which was probably more profound, was the scoreline. Right. You just don't expect the number one player in the world, a former champion at this event, a veteran, a player who had won. I mean, she was on a career-high win streak. I mean, she hadn't lost since the Australian Open. We're talking about Halep. And then, you know, we, we all have bad days, and this is uh, one of the cruelties of tennis. These are not best-of-seven series. You have one bad day, and you leave the tournament. Um and Iga Svantec played terrifically. I mean, this, this was probably as much about the victor as, uh, as the player who did not win. But you don't expect to see Simona Halep, and you don't expect to see the number one player in the world, the number one seed, win three games. And 
And Simona Holub takes, you know, for, for all she has accomplished, she's a Hall of Famer. I mean, I, I think it's very hard. She's a player that's very hard not to like on, on a number of levels. But it is worth pointing out, she does take some really bad losses. I mean, there are a lot of sets that she loses 6-1. And part of that is she just doesn't have the, the brute force to serve her way to uh, the three games a set. But this was really surprising that, you know, for the first, whatever it was, half hour of that match, you sort of said, well, boy, this this kid just came out smoking, and now this match will cool off, and Holop will impose herself, and surely she can't keep this going, Schwantek, for another set. And she basically did. And I think even more impressive, we'll get to Holop in a second, but even more impressive for Schwantek is it's, you know, a lot of players break through and they have one great win, and it's very hard to back that up. She came back two days later against not nearly the caliber of foe that Simona Holop is, which can be tricky. And got off to a rough start and then played herself into the quarterfinals and then uh, and then into the semifinals. And I think that uh, that's that's some really Im- impressive playing. I think that, um, I, you know, it's, it's the cruelty of tennis for Holop. I mean, on the, on the one hand, this is a terrific year. She had a chance to become number one. That won't happen. She had this great streak of tennis after the Australian Open. She won titles. She won in Rome. She came in here, uh, again, as, as a real favorite on the women's side. And that doesn't just uh, – I mean, I, I may have been a little over the top in proclaiming her a bigger favorite than Rafa. Most of that was by dint of the fact there's no Novak on the women. I mean, right, you know, it right. was not a knock was, on Novak. It was just a joke right there. Um, Chad has given me great grief uh, for that prediction. But, um, <laughs> no, I mean, I think it's the cruelty of tennis. So Simona Holub, sandwich in this crazy year, has a wonderful run of tennis. And 17 matches in a row is nothing to sneeze at. And she won titles. And yet, you know, she, she does not win a major this year. She has this, this real disappointment at the French Open. It may well be her. I mean, we'll, we can talk a little bit about the, the schedule for the rest of the year. But it doesn't look likely that Simona Hoff will play again. So for the next 90 days, she's living with a, a 6-1, 6-2 defeat. And she doesn't win the French Open. She doesn't uh, win a major. She doesn't. Uh, regained the number one ranking and what should have been uh, a very sweet year in some ways uh, ends up very sour. You know what, Jamie, let me tell you something about Iga Sviantek, which is, she is, no, I mean, she's one of these young players. She had a terrific junior career and player, you know, players have been talking about her, people that follow the sport have been sort of waiting for this breakthrough. She spoke about how she didn't get a whole lot of wild cards and she sort of had to grind her way through qualifying draws and she resented it at the time. She had this absolutely golden junior career but she's not from a, a country that hosts a lot of events and you know it's, it's not like an american player where there are half a dozen events in their country and they have a federation that backs them um and so she really had to earn her way to the semifinals it struck me that we do the same thing with tennis players that we do with stocks and we try to find the, the good ones early and get on the bandwagon early and, and buy futures which uh watch this transition which brings us to our sponsor this week. Do you wish you had gotten in early on some of the best performing IPOs in 2019 and 2020? Well, our crowd investors have benefited from our crowd companies IPOing like Beyond Meat or being bought by companies like Intel, Nike, Microsoft, and Oracle. Today, you can join our crowd's investment in Memic, which is a much needed innovation in the rapidly growing multi-billion dollar robotic surgery market. Memic reports that with their robotic surgeons performing safe surgeries, patients are healing faster, 
they have less scarring. You can get in on Memic and other unique opportunities at rcrowd.com slash baseline. Again, that's rcrowd.com slash baseline. If you're interested in investing, you need to join rcrowd. If you're interested in finding the Yannick Sinner, the Iga Schwantex of the IPO world, rcrowd is your source. The account is free. Go to rcrowd, O-U-R-C-R-O-W-D.com slash baseline. Sign up for rcrowd. Pick the winners. Get in on the ground floor, much as you would with tennis prospects like Iga Schwantex. Um, Jamie, what's interesting about Iga Schwantek, if we continue on this theme, is that after beating Holop, she suddenly became number one with the odds makers. Here is a 19-year-old player who has had a couple of nice results. She's, she did all right here last year, but she's unseated. And this is a player who's not in the top 40 when she gets to Paris. And after the fourth round, when there are still 15 other players left in the draw, she becomes the favorite. And that uh, those those odds makers as as of now, as we move into the final four, that seems you know in, increasingly reasonable. Me, I would take Petra Kvitova, but um, nevertheless, that really underscored how wide open this women's draw is. And we say this all the time that uh, any of a couple dozen players can win, but when you have a player who's not even seated as the odds makers' favorite in the round of 16, that really speaks volumes about just how wide open these these fields get. She's into the single semifinals and she's also into the double semifinals, I'll add. So I thought that was also impressive that she's still chugging along on the double side, even though she's made it so far uh, in singles. And she's trying to become the first player to win doubles and singles here at the French Open since Barry Pierce 20 years ago, um, you know, a number of other players, you know, Serena Williams has done it, but I Venus as well. But I think one thing that's interesting is, A, she has a lot of game and a lot of power, but she also has, it's this nice amalgam of power, but also tennis smarts. She can hit the drop shot. She was, she was the best player on the court in her doubles match. And I also think that, you know, it's 19 years old. It's the day before the biggest day, the biggest match of your life. Again, you've beaten Simona Holop. Now you're playing back-to-back players who had to qualify. So back-to-back players out of the top 100, this is a huge opportunity for her. I think rather than coming out for a light hit and feeling the pressure and doing some media, I think it's actually really smart that she spent the day playing and winning in double. So A, she goes in on a high note. Um, but B, I think it's just a really constructive way to, to spend it a day before the biggest match of your life. And, you know, before losing in the previous round, same holds true for Sonia Kennan who was playing here with Bethany Maddox-Sands, I thought on, on a number of levels. One of them is just getting used to the conditions, having a way to get matched tough on your off day, but also for, for Kenan especially, it's sort of a fun experience. Bethany's fun. She makes you smile. It's such a different experience than an intense singles match for a player like Kenan, who's very intense, very hard on herself. And I think it's no secret that we have, I mean, I think it's no surprise and no coincidence that we have two players who, Played so well in doubles, uh, playing so well in singles, too. We'd like to see more of it. Definitely. And, uh, of course, Kennan, she's loving those three setters uh, during this tournament. And on the flip side, on the opposite side, uh, she faces Kvitova, who has not dropped a set throughout this tournament. So uh, I know you already said that you're uh, – odds ma- if you were the odds makers, you'd, you'd pick Kvitova, but um, are you – are you thinking that goes three sets? And, and in terms of the other semifinal, um, 
we're, we're of course going to have a, a new finalist there. So what are your predictions as we head into the final weekend for the women's? It's a, I mean, Patrick Fenev is such a compelling story. She's such a well-liked player. I'm not entirely sure why she is the story on the women's side. And mm -hmm. I, I'm still not sure. I mean, it's one of these things I always say this about Venus and Serena, that we all know the story, but it still doesn't get told enough. I mean, what Patrick Vinova went through in the middle of her career, in her mid-20s, to make this comeback. I mean, she's, I don't know if you've seen, she's, she's leaked tears. She's left the court in tears for the last two rounds. And she said it's because this is the site of her comeback. I mean, this was where she played her first match back after that, um, after that horrible injury that she suffered um, four yeah. years ago. And I think Kvitova, I mean, she's been to the semifinals here. She's won titles on clay, multiple titles on clay. She's been terrific this tournament. She's made adjustments. She hits the court. If the roof closes and it's an indoor match, it only benefits her that much more. I mean, technically, you know, tr traditionally she has not um, had her greatest success on clay. She made a semifinal run at the French Open, but it was eight years ago. But, um, boy, if you, if you told me there was a multiple-time major champion who got to the semifinals without dropping a set, and the three other players remaining were Sophia Kennan, to whom Kvitova has never lost, and is not the kind of player that's going to out-hit her, um, a Polish teenager who wasn't seeded, and then a player who came through the qualifying draw, You'd say, oh my gosh, this is a Patrick Fidova. She, she came within a match of doing it at the 2019 Australian Open, and now it's really lining up. This is going to be, the, this is the comeback story of, uh, of all time in tennis. And it, it still seems as though people are a, a little nervous about Petra's chances. Um, I mean, to me, she's the story of the women's side. And the player I would, I, I mean, I, I think is, is a fairly heavy favorite to win the title. But um, we shall see. I mean, it's it's been uh, it's been a strange tournament. I wish I could. I wish I knew who originally came up with this because to me, this is one of the great stats of the tournament, which is that we had 32 seeds in the women's draw, as we as we have for the last two decades. That's one out of every four players is seeded, um, and there have been four matches. And uh, Kenan Kvitova will be the fourth match, and obviously the, the final won't be one. So we can now say definitively four matches out of 127 matches will be seeded player versus seeded player. That tells you all you need to know about how many upsets there are. I mean, that, that to me is just that's unprecedented. And to me, wow. is the, uh, that's sort of the most, uh, the most obvious representation of uh, just how upset late in this tournament has been on the women's side on the women's side for sure yeah and on on the men's side of course we still have one and two and uh we have Djokovic facing against Tsitsipas who has been looking pretty good throughout this whole tournament and then of course uh Nadal will face Schwartzman after that long five hour plus match against Dominic Team, who I thought you know after his U.S. Open win and, you know, with a quick transition, surface change and everything, I thought that he actually did pretty well. I know we were talking about how he would do here after all of that. And uh, I think, you know, it was a good showing. And now we'll see if we get a Djokovic-Nadal final or if we'll have another upset. Yeah, I mean, I think we, this is what we say at so many tournaments. I, I think it's great for tennis. I mean, if, if you want sustained excellence and you want to see people at the peak performers you have men's tennis you have reliable stars we have so what do we have here we have 
Rafa, Novak, who are the two overwhelming favorites. We have Diego Schwartzman, who beat team, but team just absolutely ran out of gas in that five-set match. Diego Schwartzman mm-hmm. is an incredible player. He's taken sets off Rafa here. He beat Rafa in Rome. He beats team in five sets. You say, all right, that's, that's not such a big upset. And then the fourth semifinalist is Sitsipas, who, um, you know, had, had some, some existential issues uh, coming into this tournament. He was lousy for the first hour and uh, lost the first two sets he played here. And he hasn't, as we record this uh, heading into the semis, he hasn't lost a set since. So you basically have the, the two overwhelming favorites have survived. Sometimes they've looked splendid. Sometimes they've looked less so. But they've only dropped one set between the two of them, Nadal and Djokovic have. And then you have Diego Schwartzman and Tsitsipas, which, you know, is, is not necessarily the, the final four you would have picked. But it's, um, it's, it's not so far off. Let me, let me tell you about something about Tsitsipas. The yeah, I was going to tell you something, too. <laughs> that he plays with the Wilson Rackets? Uh-huh. No, no, that wasn't what I was going to say. I'll tell you that he plays with the Wilson Racket, which brings us to our second sponsor, tennis-related, which we love. Uh, exciting news for all fans of Beyond the Baseline and Pro Staff Rackets. Wilson has just released the latest, greatest Pro Staff V13, and we have an offer exclusively for you, for our listeners. Order this awesome new racket from Wilson.com and Beyond the Baseline listeners should use the code BAGTHEBAG, B-A-G-T-H-E-B-A-G, that's BAGTHEBAG, for an exclusive gift of purchase. And it is a red, white, and blue Wilson brand duffel. Visit Wilson.com backslash pro staff. Use the code BAGTHEBAG to purchase. Hurry up. Supplies are limited for this $50 value gift with purchase. That is a Wilson bag uh, with a Wilson racket. Uh, Jamie, what were you going to say about Stefano uh, Sitsipas? I was going to say uh, we should make it clear that Sitsipas is no longer a next-gen player. Um, I, he made that known. He is a, um, how did he call it, a fully formed adult <laughs> or something All like that? All grown up now. <laughs> fully formed adult. All grown up now. <laughs> um, these generations, they uh, they change quickly. Yeah, he seemed to, uh, in, you know, in, in, in his usual good-natured way, he seemed to take offense to that uh, <laughs> question um but he uh no i mean i i give not unlike Djokovic. i mean Djokovic. I, I think we've seen a lot of really nifty transitions one of them was, was dominic team who absolutely just sort of ran out of reserves but losing a five setter to diego schwartzman and the quarterfinals of a major is, is nothing uh you know that's that's not a defeat that uh will, will trouble you and it did not seem to trouble dominic team the other great adjustment was Djokovic. I don't think there are a whole lot of players who could get defaulted from one event and leave sort of under, under those sour circumstances and then turn around and as if nothing happened, basically. I mean, he's, he's lost two sets of tennis uh, since then, wins Rome and comes in here as, as the top seed and the number one player and, and looks the part. And then I think Sitsipas too. I mean, Sitsipas had that, uh, the, the match at the U.S. Open, uh, which will, you know, you, you would think could, could take him out of commission for six months. Uh, remember, remember the tweet as he left the court that it was uh, both the whatever the, the funniest and the saddest thing he'd ever seen. He loses to Yannick Sinner in Rome, which in, in retrospect is not such a bad loss. He goes to Hamburg to sort of play himself into some sort of shape and uh, shake these these bad losses. Gets to the final, is up five three to Rublev in the final, and then fails to close, fails to win another game. And you say there's this existential crisis coming and that sometimes these psychic wounds are, are the hardest to uh, to clot and loses the first two sets here and suddenly he's sort of you know morphed back into the player who 
are people are predicting to win majors and he's in yet another major semifinal. He's been terrific. I mean, again, he hasn't lost a set since being down love two in the second. He really handled Rublev today. He was down five, three in the first set to Rublev. And he won it was, it was 16 of the next 21 games. I mean, basically completely turned the match around. And uh, he is, he is an adult. I mean, there definitely is a new clay. You know, it, it's funny with this next gen, but Yannick Sinner feels like a very different mutant, this, this Massetti as well. Um, it does feel like uh, this generation has flipped over and Tsitsipas and Rublev, um, to a lesser extent, Medvedev, even maybe if we want to extend it to Zverev, they definitely seem like uh, they are not the next gen anymore. And um, he officially denounced his status today, as you, as you picked up on, Jamie. <laughs> I uh, wanted to ask you about, we saw a lot of rubbing and prodding and pulling on, on Djokovic's arm today. Did you, and then of course, you know, after he dropped that first set, he came right back. And as you said, he's in yet another major semifinal. Is it something that he, we should be worried about? Is it something that's going to, to impact him in, in the semifinal match? And then if he wins going forward, what did you gather uh, about that injury? It, it was weird. I haven't, um, and I candidly, we, we did a live show immediately after his match, and then I came back to the hotel. I haven't seen his, I don't know if he's gone into press yet and explained it. It was very strange because he was clearly bothered, and he not only lost the first set, but you know he could barely toss the ball. I mean, he missed 60% of his first serves, and the courtside mics picked him up saying, like, yeah, it feels better when you rub it, but as soon as I hit the ball, it goes back to hurting. Um and he was a point away from being down a set and a break. And then all of a sudden he started to loosen up and he looked better. His statistically, he started serving better. He cut down his unforced errors. I guess, you know, it, it's a, a cause for concern. And, and he had some stiffness uh, at the Cincinnati event as well. I suspect it's the same injury, but it did seem like the kind of thing that loosens up. And, um, he was not the player in the second, third, and fourth sets that he was in the first. So I think it's probably a good sign that it looks like the kind of injury, you know, some, some of these injuries are, they just, you, you aggravate an injury and it gets worse and worse. And sometimes, you know, your, your back seizes up and it doesn't unseize. Sometimes your, your back is stiff and you move around and it gets loose. And it did seem like that was the case. But again, I'm eager to hear uh, Djokovic comment on it because, Again, clearly in the first set, there was something going on, not just what he was saying and grimacing, but it was reflected in the stat sheet. But he really cleaned things up and loosened up because by the end of the match, uh, it looked a lot like the Novak Djokovic we've come to know over the last decade. Definitely. Yeah, it was it was weird. There was a lot of rubbing in like the upper arm, but it seemed like it was more of his elbow or his forearm that was bothering him. So uh, we shall see, but as you said, the uh, seems like it all worked out. But who knows? Uh, you talk about that bone chilling cold, and that's the type of thing that when you wake up in the morning, uh, you know maybe things start to feel a little uh, more sore or, or just tender um, from that cold weather. So it's another uh, another thing to keep an eye on. What else can you tell us from around the grounds? Anything, uh, is, it, is it now very quiet there as we head into the final weekend or is there still um, you know, a lot of people buzzing around? Yeah, it, it's weird. I mean, they're, um, I, I sort of taking a step back, the, the good news is that we are, uh, you know, we have 
we're in the semifinals of a major and we're talking about tennis and it was unclear that was that was going to be the case i mean much like the u.s open it ended up being a major tennis tournament and yeah these things are better when you have crowds and in the case of the french open it's a lot you know paris is a lot nicer the last week of may and the first week of june than the last week of september and the first week of october but we got through it and there was some controversy and you had the you know sasha zverev with another regrettable unforced error and you have um this sort of fairly sinister allegation of match match fixing and women's doubles and we've had sort of the usual silliness you know sonia kennan and uh her fourth round opponent fiona farrow uh their coaches sitting next to each other we sort of had our share of silly tennis hijinks but i would i would say overall it's a major in the play i don't hear anyone saying boy they never should have scheduled this and to me that was sort of same with the u.s open i mean that ultimately that was going to be the acid test and it'll be really nice when we get back to a french open in uh in early summer and in late spring early summer it'll be really nice when there are fans in the stands it's a little eerie i mean our booth for uh, our, our set for tennis channel is right um sort of in the mid-level above the court and we were told we have to be quiet when we talk when there's match and play because our sound goes right to the court and you know there there are a thousand fans that they permit in every day but the fans roam and sometimes uh it seems like the fans uh i had heard this and have not confirmed it but it seems like a lot of these are sort of corporate obligations so these are not the kind of fans that are necessarily you know shouting and uh sort of getting into the getting into the match the way sort of the traditional fans do at the french open right. it's weird i mean it's definitely a weird it's definitely a weird event it's cold no one looks you know per particularly happy but i think everyone is happy this event happened and is on the calendar they made it work and you read about these you read about the COVID rates in, in France going up, but certainly by, you know, the, the U.S. standards, you know, I, I see restaurants are open and people on the streets and it, it doesn't seem like uh, it, it's had a hugely chilling effect, some of these recent measures. So it's, it's weird, no question about it, but um, it's happening. We only have eight players left in, uh, in, the, in the two singles draws and we haven't had, you know, best of all, we haven't had a health scare. So, um, I think I think everybody is of the opinion of like I, I wouldn't want to go through this experience again, but it sure beats it sure beats no tennis. So that's I think I think everyone sort of has has arrived at that spot um, in in different ways. Definitely. And so then building on that, looking ahead, you know, past the French Open, I know you in talking about Simona Halep very much could be you know the last time we see her this year. We said the same for Serena Williams. Of course, she's dealing with injury, but what are your thoughts in terms of the rest of the fall season? Are we going straight into an off season? Um, will there be some other tournaments? What are, what, what are you getting from, from players and camps in terms of scheduling out this the rest of this 2020? Um, I can't remember if we talked about this last week. I mean, I, I had heard that uh, there was sort of scrambling to get a year-end event in Prague for the WTA and that players were sticking around because there was going to be this Prague event and it was not going to replace the Shenzhen event that uh, Ash Barty won the WTA finals, but there was going to be some sort of year-end extravaganza in Prague. And two days later, COVID rates have spiked in the Czech Republic. There's a lockdown. The promoter of the financing apparently pulled out and suddenly there's no Prague event. 
And so right now there's one event on the WTA calendar. You have a number of sort of smaller events that aren't tour level that are probably gonna have very good fields. I think there's a mix of frustration among the players that, uh, you know, here, here it is the first week of October and I can't imagine that I'm not gonna play again until 2021. There's also some relief that this has been a strange year. It's no fun to take the court in a mask. It's no fun to be in a hotel bubble and not be allowed to go out to dinner with, uh, with my colleagues. But it looks as though, for all intents, the WTA is pretty much done for the year. Um, the men got some good news today when the Paris indoor event held at, at Bercy on the other side of town from, uh, from Roland Garros announced that the Paris indoor is going to happen. There will be a thousand fans permitted and that's it, but still it's, it's better than nothing. And there are a number of men's events left on the calendar. I mean, again, I don't know how indoor tennis goes in Western Europe, given that uh, bars are closing and countries are reporting second waves, but it does look like there are going to be a lot more opportunities for the men. And as of now, the men's final event in London um, at the O2 is still, is still on the calendar. So there's, there's a lot of uncertainty. And I think that, um, a lot of this is subject to change. We just saw that the Auckland event uh, canceled. Not a huge surprise in New Zealand, given New Zealand's uh, COVID protocol, but already they're calling off events in 2021. I think most players' minds are pretty much on getting to Australia, which looks like it's going to have to happen in December, quarantining in Australia, and then playing a full swing uh, down under. And it does seem like after the French Open, um, for the women especially, this year is pretty much in the books. Yeah, I, I agree. I think, you know, it's been an exhausting year for everyone, but I'm sure for the players, it's um, a difficult thing trying to schedule this back half of the year, not knowing what can happen and not knowing when or if there will be more lockdowns or things like that. So it's definitely hard to navigate. But uh, the good thing is, as you said earlier, we've uh, – we're rounding the corner here into the final days and we have some tennis to talk about and not positive tests. So we look forward to that this weekend. Yeah, exactly. I mean, if, if we're talking about uh, the women's straws being wide open and cold weather tennis, and we'll be, will Novak beat Rafa and who will, uh, who will Sonia Kennan's dad be sitting next to in the coach's box? Um, we're all doing pretty well because as with the U.S. Open, just no one knew what to expect. Um, you know, I think the French Open got a bit of a lousy, you know, the, the event here got a bit of a lousy hand in that when a lot of these decisions were made, uh, Paris and France were in a much different position. I mean, this is an event that, uh, and we, we talked about this last time, this is an event that doesn't have a huge television rights contract with ESPN. They make a lot of their money through tickets and hospitality. And when they said the games are on, they expected attendance to be 50% and full hospitality, suites, catering. That went to 11,500 fans a day, which, you know, is, is a blow. I mean, that's about a third. That's more than a third of what they're used to, but it's still, you know, more than 10,000 ticket-paying customers. Then it went to 5,000 and now 1,000. And you have to think that if the FFT, the French Federation, knew it would only be 1,000, they would not have made the decision to stage this tournament. But uh, here we are. So I give, I give the FFT a lot of credit because through no fault of their own, they've sort of been dealt a, a bit of a rough hand. The, uh, the COVID situation has gotten a lot worse since they made their decision, unlike the U.S. Open, where it was the opposite. But they pulled it off, or, you know, at least, uh, knock wood, uh, 10, 11 days into this, they pulled it off. 
And in the end of the day, three of the four tennis majors will have been held. And the fourth one had pandemic insurance and some of that they were able to spread around to players. So not a great year for anyone, not a great year for humanity, a lot of challenges for a global sport, but it could have been a lot worse. And I think that's, um, again, I think people are reaching this conclusion uh, some more easily than others and, and some taking different paths than others, but that's kind of where we are, which is uh, beats, beats the alternative open. For sure. We, uh, we'll take parkas and, and uh, leggings and ski wear over no tennis. Yeah, exactly. Well put. Exactly. Thanks. Uh, thanks for your time and uh, stay warm. <laughs> and uh, hopefully we'll talk to you when you get back, uh, get back to New York. You got it. Uh, always a pleasure. Thanks to Jamie, as always, for her excellent sorcery. Thanks to you for listening. Thanks for your guest suggestions. Thanks to both of our sponsors this week. Uh, keep guest suggestions coming. We will be back in the States uh, for our next podcast. Thanks everyone for listening. Leave a review, download wherever you get your podcasts, iTunes, Stitcher, and uh, have a good week, everyone. Enjoy the last two rounds of Roland Garros 2020. Thank you.